You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Midland, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered missional family. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit www.redeemermidland.org. Amen, amen. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. If you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 10. My name is Jason Hatch. I'm the lead of the teaching pastor here at Redeemer, and so I get the incredible uh, honor and privilege uh, about 75% of the time to get up on Sunday morning, open God's Word, and expound it to us and encourage and exhort us towards uh, faith and obedience in it. And we've been walking through, as probably you well know, uh, the book of Romans for quite some time now, but we are pausing Romans today, and we're going to walk through a a very important thing for this kind of moment of time for us as a faith family, and I hope that you'll stick around during the announcements to see kind of how this ties into some uh, things that we have going on as a church. So I always want to make sure that we are uh, using the Word of God to steer us and to just kind of teach us and to guide us. So I'm going to preach a sermon today about Jesus being the Good Shepherd, and then don't leave. So don't leave after the sermon. Don't leave after the music. Stick around because we've got some good things as a family to talk through. Um, If you're in John chapter 10, say ready. This is dealing with uh, one of the main metaphors that the Bible uses for God and his people. Uh, There's a lot of different metaphors that the Bible uses to explain this relationship that we have uh, with God as God's people. Uh, God is the vine and we are the branches. It's a metaphor that's used, meaning all of our life and sustenance comes through Jesus. He's the vine. He supplies us with everything we need. And we are there. Our purpose is to bear fruit. So he's the vine. We are the branches. Uh, He is the potter. We are the clay, meaning he's in charge. He gets to shape us and mold us and turn us into what he uh, wants us to be. God is our father and we are his I will accept children or kids. Uh, We've been adopted in his family, and that's a metaphor to help us understand what it means to be a Christian, and we've unpacked that uh, quite a bit in Romans, talking about adoption. Uh, And then today, we're looking at perhaps one of the most dominant metaphors that explains the relationship between Christians and God, and God reveals himself as a shepherd which would have been a metaphor uh, both uh, in the Old Testament and in the first century when the New Testament was written. It would have been a very accessible metaphor for those people. It would be like dropping into Texas and using the metaphor of a cowboy, uh, very accessible to our culture. A lot of people would realize what you're saying. And so we're going to tease this out quite a bit this morning because uh, probably not many of you are shepherds, right? I bought two goats a few months ago so that I could say, in fact, I am a, a, a goat herder. I kind of equate that to being a shepherd. And so uh, you're going to hear a lot of analogies over the years about my goats. Uh, so I'm really excited about that. Don't know if you are, but uh, this is what the Bible has said about us thus far. If you're a Christian, you're a branch, you're a hunk of clay, uh, you're a child, and you're a sheep. Everybody say, you're welcome. And you can go home. Let's pray. That's, uh, that's the metaphors that the Bible uses uh, to explain who we are. And so this idea and this metaphor of God being a shepherd, and then more specifically later on, Jesus being a good shepherd and God's people, those who are in Christ, who have repented and believed, Christians that belong to Jesus are the sheep. And this metaphor reaches all throughout the Old Testament to New Testament. Uh, So uh, the, the young man that was a man after God's own heart, David, was a 
shepherd. He was the one of, uh, in the family that was tasked with taking care of the family sheep. And so he knew very well what it meant to be a shepherd. And so when he uh, is called upon by God in 2 Samuel 5, God says that you're not just going to be a shepherd of a sheep, but he makes a promise to David, you're going to shepherd my people. What you've been doing for years out in the fields with those sheep, I need you to do to the nation of Israel. Um, Old Testament prophets oftentimes were talked about as shepherds, some good, some bad. Oftentimes there's somebody that shows up and they're shepherding well, um, but perhaps more than that, God speaks and condemns some of the, uh, the prophets and the leaders of the time that were uh, really getting rich, he says, off of the sheep. And so in one moment in the Old Testament, he's condemning the, uh, the shepherd because they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so he makes a promise that he's going to get up off his throne, march down to earth, and become his own, his own shepherd for his people. Uh, and then Jesus' birth was first announced to who? To some shepherds that were out in the field. You know the story, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, right? And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, they were afraid. And God gives this unbelievable announcement of the great shepherd coming into earth to some shepherds. Um, so this is an incredibly rich metaphor um, that was very accessible to his listeners. So I want to unpack this for a few moments. Uh, because it's incredibly important for us as believers, to understand how we relate to God. And this metaphor is going to help us do that. So John chapter 10, verses 10 through 15. If you have a Bible, obviously we'd love for you to follow along. If you don't, it will be on the screen here for you as well. These are red letters, so these are the words of Jesus Christ himself. He says this, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy... But I came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I don't, I'm not preaching this sermon, but that just promise and, and that sentence is an unbelievable phrase that you need to know and you need to believe um, that Jesus has not come to ruin your fun. Uh, Jesus has not come as a wet uh, blanket to the party uh, to put out all the fun. He has come to lead us as a good shepherd into life and not just life, but life abundantly. Some of your versions say have life to the fullest. That's why Jesus has come. Verse 11, he says, and I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. This is one of the real big uh, I am statements in the Gospel of John when Jesus declares seven different things about his identity and his function and what he does. And one of them is that he says, I am the good shepherd. So what does that mean for us if Jesus is our shepherd, we are his sheep, we belong to him, uh, what in fact is Jesus saying uh, that he will do? I'm glad that you asked. Number one, shepherds lead. And this is, this is very different, right, than the, kind of the West Texas feeling of a cowboy because a cowboy, uh, they, they drive the, the herd of cows, right? They get behind them and they push them and they uh, f f kind of force them and coerce them and use a, a whip if necessary and a cattle prod because uh, cows act very differently than sheep. Uh, you can't herd sheep like that. How many of you have ever tried to herd uh, and push a herd of cats? No? 
uh, you should try it sometime. It's a lot of fun. We got a lot of stray cats at our house and trying to herd them. It's like herding cats. You can't just get behind and push them, much like sheep and goats. You can't get behind them and tell them where you want them to go and then push them towards that. So a shepherd and this is, is true today, uh, as it was when Jesus was saying this and unve- unveiling this metaphor for us. A shepherd wouldn't get behind the sheep and say, you need to go there and, and, and push them. Instead, a shepherd relationally knew his sheep very well, uh, probably had named many of them, would spend a lot of his time sleeping out in the fields with them. He would sing to them. Uh, He would create poetry and and recite these poems. So over time, the sheep would eventually learn to hear and to love the voice of their shepherd. And so he wouldn't be behind them, pushing them in a place to go. A shepherd would go out in front and then call them or sing to them, and they would get in line and follow uh, a few months ago, we bought, uh, because we love Jesus, we bought some goats, and uh, these goats are incredibly funny, and the guy that I bought them from uh, in Kansas uh, was giving us some tips on how to train these goats, and he said, if you train them well and you bond relationally with them, then they'll just follow you wherever you go, and if they bond to you like we were bottle feeding them for these last few months, and they you know, knew that we were the, the caregivers, and so they bonded to us, and if there's multiple people around, um, then they know who I am, and they will follow me. And uh, because this is so relational, the breeder that we bought these uh, goats from, he said, when you're training them, you can't uh, treat them like a dog or train them in the same way. You can't pop them. You can't scold them. You can't yell at them. Uh, He says, what you need to do is get a water bottle, a little squirt bottle. And when they do something that they're not supposed to do, you just squirt them right in the face, right? And then they don't attach that negative behavior with you. They just think, oh, my gosh, it's raining right on my face. I probably shouldn't do what I'm doing. Um, Side note to the parents in the room, this is also very effective for children. It's like it was working so well for Kit and Teddy. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to incorporate this into all the little parts of my life. So, you know, sitting at the table, Hudson, you got to be a little quieter. Don't be quieter. Just squirt him right in the face. Paisley, need you to obey, not obeying, just squirt it right in the face. Uh, jokes, I don't do that with the kids. But it's, it's effective because what you're doing with the goats is trying to get this relationship where they love you and they know that you're safe and they know that you're going to lead them in, in, a, in, a, in a safe and a healthy place. And so when Jesus says he's a shepherd, he's not saying he's going to get behind Christians and just kind of encourage you, oh, yeah, go deal with suffering and, and, and endure suffering well and, and love people and forgive your enemies and pray. He doesn't get behind Christians and try to drive them places. He is a shepherd and he leads by example and so he came to lead the way for Christians so when he asks Christians to forgive their enemies the the reason you may do that is because what Jesus did it first. He led the way. The reason that you can uh, forgive, that you can love, that you can lay your life down, that you can be certain that you're walking with Jesus even through difficulties is because Jesus has led the way. So shepherds lead their sheep. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, and this is right before the section that we just read. He's talking about a shepherd being a leader that goes before John 10, 2, it's on the screen here. Um, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. So you can imagine this pen, this large pen that has sheep in it, and there's a gatekeeper, and he's saying that uh, sometimes thieves will try to get in, um, but the shepherd will come through the door. Uh, The sheep hear his voice, and this is the metaphor that Christians hear the voice of Jesus, 
The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. This is an important thing to know, that if you're a Christian, Jesus is your shepherd, and he's leading the way. This is really what's packaged up in the idea when we call ourselves Jesus followers. What does that mean? It's not really just a fancy term to talk about Christian. It should define what our lives look like, that Jesus went a certain direction and we're falling in line with him, trying to follow his example, to follow his direction, to follow the course that he's laid out with us. So if, 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 if your life is fo- like following a very different trajectory from Jesus's, then you're not allowing him to be your shepherd, right? Somebody might say, well, like, you're, you're going this way, and, but, but Jesus is, is going that way. So followers of Jesus, we don't just belong to Christ. We're trying to follow his example, to obey his commands, and to, tr- in fact, fall in step with him. So when Jesus uh, asks us to forgive, asks us to love, when he asks us to do these things, he, there's only one thing, and we've talked about this before, there's only one thing that Jesus is going to ask you to do that he didn't do himself, and that's repent of sin. But when he asks us to have patience and love and kindness and forgiveness, he led the way so that we have an incredible example to follow. First thing the shepherds do, a shepherd leads his sheep. Number two, shepherds feed the sheep. Sheep get hungry. Sheep have to be nursed. They have to have some type of food. And I don't know if you're offended by this. I slightly am. But uh, there could have been a lot of animals that uh, Jesus kind of uh, correlated us with. Uh, sheep are probably not the most intelligent animals. Um, oftentimes they will starve to death uh, because they won't leave a certain patch of ground, even if all the grass is gone and nothing but rocks. Um, they won't go find their own food. And then oftentimes they'll wander into areas and eat poisonous things. So the shepherd is trying to make sure that they get fed. Uh, Christians need to eat. Some of you are like, amen, right? Spiritually, Christians need to eat. If Christians are sheep, and this is the metaphor, uh, this is something that Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. He says, uh, somebody was telling Jesus, if you are the son of God, this is uh, Satan tempting him in the wilderness. He says, if you're truly the son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread because he had been fasting for 40 days and no doubt he was physically hungry. Some of you are like, yeah, I've been fasting for 40 minutes. I'm incredibly hungry. And he, 40 days and he was incredibly hungry and so Satan comes and tempts him and says, listen, if you're truly the son of God, I need you to prove it through actions and through visible signs. And he answered and said, it is written, which is it, it, that, that, that's incredible in and of itself. Jesus is about to quote the Old Testament that he had feasted on uh, for all 30 years of his life. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How does Jesus shepherd his people? What does the good shepherd feed his sheep? Very simply, you know this, the word of God. If you're a Christian and you want to be healthy and thriving and follow Jesus into this abundant life that he's prepared for you, you just have to have a steady intake and a steady diet of the word of God. Social media is not going to lead you to a place of health. Amen? Amen? Like you have to have a healthy diet. And so how do we get a healthy diet? Well, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He came to feed his sheep. So he came to declare to us the heart and the purposes of God. And as he spoke, he's speaking to us God's word. And in giving us God's word, he's nourishing his sheep. 
A true shepherd feeds the sheep. Number three, shepherds protect the sheep. A shepherd protects the sheep. If you're a sheep in the first century, there's a lot of predators and bandits and, uh, and dangerous uh, cliffs that you might wander off into in the middle of the night, and a shepherd exists to protect them. And so a shepherd would not just put them up in a pen at night and go home. Um, the shepherd was with them both day and night, staying with them, protecting them from wolves, protecting them from bears, uh, protecting them from bandits and from thieves, uh, and oftentimes protecting them from themselves. The shepherd loves the sheep, and so he would protect them. So what does Jesus do for Christians as the good shepherd and Christians his sheep? He protects us. He protects us from evil spirits. He protects us oftentimes from ourselves. Uh, if one of us wanders off, Jesus told the parable that says a shepherd, a good shepherd is willing to leave the 99 and go wander off into the wilderness at night to find the one sheep that went astray. So Jesus is in charge of protecting us. And number four, uh, shepherds sacrifice their lives for the sheep. John chapter 10, Jesus said this, which makes this just an unbelievable statement. And, and because if you think about it, if a, if a shepherd has 100 sheep, then you know, I, I would make the case that the shepherd's life is infinitely more valuable than any of the sheep's life. So this, I think, translates mainly to not a, a, a shepherd and sheep, but Jesus and Christians, that it's such a profound statement to think that Jesus, and this is only true of Christianity, nowhere else and no other religion and no other way of thinking, no other worldview, is there a God that is willing to sacrifice himself for something that is less valuable than him? But in fact, that's what Jesus says he's going to do. He's going to lay his life down for his sheep. He says that the hired hand, somebody that was just hired, they don't own the sheep. They're just being paid hourly to come help. He says if a, if a bear comes or if a wolf comes, they're just going to flee because they're just a hired hand. They don't have any vested interest. Jesus says, that's not me. That, that he, he's the good shepherd and he lays his life down for the sheep. And so if we understand Jesus as a good shepherd that he knows his sheep by name, he leads them out, he feeds them, he protects them, and he's willing to lay his life down for them, then here's my question, here's the hinge for the second half of our time together this morning. How does Jesus plan to do that after he has died, been buried, risen from the dead, ascended into heaven, if we still belong to him, we still need leading, we still need feeding, we still need protecting. How does he accomplish that after he's gone from earth? I'm glad you asked. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Also, again, this will be on the screen. This is the Apostle Peter speaking, and perhaps nobody knew the heart and the mind of Jesus more than Peter um, because Jesus, Jesus had, in fact, given Peter, like the keys of the kingdom to a certain extent, made, them, made him the, the spokesperson and the leader, not just of this new, new Testament movement that we call the New Testament church, but he was the spokesperson for the 12 disciples Peter knew how Jesus planned to be the good shepherd after he ascended. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Uh, Peter's speaking to the church, and he says this. He says, so I exhort you, I exhort the elders among you. And elders is, uh, we find out in Acts, this is a term, that, there's multiple terms that mean the exact same thing. Uh, elders, pastors, uh, shepherds, they all are talking about this specific function or this specific role within the local church. So how has Jesus 
planned to shepherd his people after he is ascended. This is what Peter says, I exhort or I highly encourage or challenge the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God. He's using it as a verb. Do the same things that Jesus does. How does Jesus plan to do this? That Jesus as the chief shepherd uh, basically calls out gifts and hires under shepherds to perform those same tasks inside of the local church. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd, right, the, 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 the big shepherd, the boss of all the shepherds, when the chief shepherd, and that is Jesus, he's the good shepherd, when he appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I think it's worth noting that in this text and really the thread that follows throughout all the New Testament is that Christians are supposed to belong to churches. Christians, by God's design, were not meant to live a Christian life on their own, isolated as Lone Ranger Christians. You cannot find that type of Christian in the New Testament because God has designed us to function together. And part of his plan for shepherding his people is it's assumed throughout the New Testament that Christians belong to churches. So I just want to encourage you, if you uh, podcast and you listen and you Bible study, and, and those are all great things, but part of God's design is for you to be incredibly connected and linked to a local church. That's how Jesus has planned this all to work out. And so elder, pastor, shepherd, they're really all the same thing. And we use the word, most of the time in our culture, we predominantly use the word pastor. Uh, Although most of the time in the New Testament, that word is not used. The word elder or the word shepherd is used. So in light of Jesus being the good shepherd, we're his people, we're his sheep, we're his flock. How does he plan to shepherd us? Peter's saying here, through under shepherds. And so the question is, what do under shepherds do? What is Paul encouraging the leaders of of the churches to do for the sheep? Number one, under shepherds lead sheep. Y'all with me? It's the same thing. So all the things that Jesus did as a shepherd, elders are supposed to do with the church. So who leads the churches? Jesus has designed it where he calls qualified men and they work together to lead sheep. And do they? Lead, do we just kind of come up with like, I think we should go here and do this and preach this and sing this. No, we lead where Jesus wants us to go. And there's a lot of people that are like maybe pastors of churches, leaders that want people to follow them, but they're not wanting them to follow them in the path of Jesus. So be very careful who you follow. Pastors, elders, shepherds, they lead people not just of their own accord, but in the very footsteps of Jesus. Uh, Moses uh, was kind of a a foreshadowing of this idea that uh, he was a leader over God's people. And so God spoke to him and said, I want you to lead them out of Egypt. And so he got a word from God very clearly, and he was up to the task, and he led God's people, and they followed him. That's very much how it takes place. He didn't take any votes. I don't know if you've read the Old Testament, but if, uh, if Moses would have taken a vote, they would have been all like, nah, we're going to stay here in Egypt. We like the slavery, and so he just calls this man Moses to lead uh, his people. Uh, so 
in 1 Peter 5, uh, Peter's asking the shepherds to, uh, to read their Bibles, to pray, to fast, to try to discern God's will, God's direction, both generically that's true of every church and every Christian, and then specifically the nuances that have to do with each church and each culture and each challenge that they have um, so that they can lead, go before, and, and the church uh, begins to take territory. Uh, the under-shepherds lead the sheep. Two main ways that God has designed this to work. How do under-shepherds lead the sheep? Number one, lead by example. Lead by example. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, this is the Apostle Paul, and, and he's saying something that is, is it's incredibly true, and I think it's helpful, but in, in our culture, when you hear this, you might have a check in your system that it sounds like Paul is being uh, prideful, or maybe he's being uh, self-centered, but he, he's not. He's trying to fulfill the role that God has given him. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul is saying, like, I'm, I'm doing my absolute best to imitate the life of Jesus, to follow him. And so he had enough confidence that he was, in fact, following Jesus, that he was willing to step out on a ledge, so to speak, and say, hey, like, live your life the way I'm living my life. Treat people the way I'm treating people because I'm trying to treat people like Jesus. Deal with your enemies the way I am because I'm trying to do that like Jesus. So he says something that is incredibly important like he says, follow my example. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And so you really need to be careful that leaders that you're following are, are actually trying. That second part of his statement is, is, is incredibly important, right? Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Does that mean Paul never made any mistakes? Does that mean Paul never sinned? Does that mean Paul didn't have moments of weakness where he was not imitating Christ? No, this is a generic example that you follow him as long as he follows Jesus, but there's gonna have to be moments of grace uh, both with Paul and with any elder, any pastor, any shepherd, moments of grace where they do not, in fact, perfectly follow Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter three uh, is uh, Paul's unpacking of the qualifications for an under-shepherd or a pastor or an elder. And it's interesting because we're such a pragmatic society, right? We love the, here's 10 tips of practically how to get from point A to point B. And so if you're thinking about Paul encouraging all these churches to make sure that they have godly qualified elders that are shepherding the flock, then you would think there would be a lot of tasks that would show up on this qualification list, but that's not so. Almost every single thing on this list has to do with character, uh, there's only one thing that, uh, that uh, an elder is tasked to be able to do, and that's to relay God's word or to be able to teach the Bible. Everything else is just simply, this is the character that we need to almost put a stamp, like this is the kind of people that you need to follow. Follow these people because they're following Jesus. Uh, in, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul's preaching to the church. He's talking to the church in Philippi, and he says this, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Some of your versions of the Bible say according to the pattern that you have in us. When I was growing up, we didn't have a lot. I grew up in a single-wide trailer house. We had always had plenty of food and never really in, in want, but we didn't have much extra. Uh, and I remember that my mother uh, used to make a lot of our clothes. Anybody else? 
Your mom made your clothes. We had, I remember those little white packets that were patterns. And so she would find a pattern and she would pull out all these little bitty pieces of uh, the pattern and she would take this fabric. And sometimes I would be forced as a young boy to go into the fabric store, uh, which was not my favorite place to be. Uh, but she, was, she would go buy some fabric. And what you do is you lay the fabric down and then you just put the pattern on top and you cut around it. You're making, uh, you're making the, the same image as the pattern. Like, this is what Paul says. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes. This is talking to Christians like you. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Or he's saying, like, there needs to be some physical examples of godliness if you're going to follow in that pattern. And I think this has never been more true than our, our moment in history and our moment in culture. There, there's something that Paul says. Um, it escapes me where exactly it is, but uh, he's saying that you have countless guides in Christ, but very few fathers. And so I became a father or a living, breathing example. I, I don't think that's ever been more true than our culture. There is no shortage of information. In, in three seconds, you can Google and find the answer to how you're supposed to live your life. But that's very different than having a living, breathing person in your life as a mentor, as an encourager to say, oh, that's what it looks like. Like I understood when I Googled it, like there's no shortage of information. As Paul says, we got countless guys. There's just everybody's willing to tell me what to do, but nobody's willing to have coffee with me and help me do it. That's what he's saying, that we, we need to have this familial connection with one another, and there need to be some exemplary people that we don't expect them to be Jesus, but they're following Jesus in such a way that they have become examples. And so this is what an elder is, 1 Timothy 3. You look at the qualifications, they're qualified, and they, they desire to have this role. And so, in essence, we, we hold them up and say, this is how they lead the sheep. As under-shepherds, their life goes before us, and we learn to mimic them. And that qualifications in, in 1 Timothy 3 has a lot. It talks about marriage. Oh, that's how I'm supposed to operate in my marriage. Uh, it talks about alcohol, how, how, how to deal with alcohol. This is how we follow the example of, of godly men laid down for us as a pattern. Uh, it talks about family life and raising kids. talks about living hospitality and, and, and mission and inviting people into your home. And just because one of the ways that elders are called to lead is by example. And number two, they lead by decisions or direction. They lead the church by decision or direction. That's what uh, Peter was asking the church leaders to do in 1 Peter chapter 5, to lead by decision or by direction. In Acts chapter 15, there's an interesting story. We call this the Jerusalem Council. So there were so many people coming to Christ, Jews, Gentiles, people from every area of life, some very far from Jesus. Some had no idea uh, the commandments and the expectations that God had. They just knew Jesus died for them. He was full of grace, and they wanted in. And so things were growing so quickly, it was getting incredibly messy, as is normally the case. That's one of the growing pains when a lot of people are coming to Christ. Things get messy really quickly. And so some of the questions they were asking is, what do we do? Do we have to sacrifice? Can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? Do we need to force these uh, young men that are becoming Christians to be circumcised under the Jewish law. And so what did they do? They needed some guidance and some direction. So they go to Jerusalem and it says that they gathered all of the apostles and the elders together to have a meeting. We call it the Jerusalem Council where they together decide how they're going to lead the church. And this is what they came up with. Uh, therefore, this is Acts 15 verse 19. This is a, a direction that has come down from the elders in Jerusalem. 
We'll just call it Redeemer Jerusalem. The elders of Redeemer Jerusalem said, Therefore, my judgment, and this is Peter speaking on their behalf, is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. So he, he's, he's saying we, we want to put as little roadblocks between people coming to Jesus and remove every obstacle that we can. He says, but there's three things that are important. He says, make sure that they uh, abstain from things that have been polluted by idols, which was culturally helping their movement. He says to abstain from sexual immorality. So just a sermon, within a sermon, side comment, sexual immorality is a big deal to Jesus. If you're living with someone and you're not married with them, confess, repent, move out. If you've got some type of sexual sin, sexual immorality, and that, uh, that word sexual, sexual immorality is really kind of the junk drawer term that would incorporate anything that we could think of in thought, word, or deed uh, for sexual sin outside of sex, inside of a covenant of marriage. Sermon within a sermon. Over from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So I assume that the young uh, Gentiles that had just become Christians, when they found out they did not have to get circumcised, uh, there might have been a party. I'm sure they were fairly excited. So the, the, the elders, they decide, like, this is how we're going to move forward, and that's the pattern that you see throughout the New Testament. How does God lead his sheep as the good shepherd? He has under-shepherds that lead by example, with their lives and lead by making decisions and providing direction. So that's the first thing. Under shepherds lead the sheep. Number two, under shepherds feed the sheep. Christians need a healthy diet. Jesus said it himself in Matthew, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What is a way, this is not the only way, but what is a way that the good shepherd has designed for you to be nourished and fed? It's with men that are called by God and equipped by the Holy Spirit to unpack and to preach the word of God. John 21, verse 17 says this. This is Jesus talking to Peter after his crucifixion, after his resurrection. He, Jesus, said to him, Peter, the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me, which was mimicking the three times that Peter denied Jesus the night he was crucified. And he said to him, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. How did the good shepherd plan on feeding the sheep? Through Peter for this church. So Peter's job was to unpack the, the, the words of Jesus. And he would put all of that into writing that we now have and we know of as the Bible, the Old and the New Testament, and Christians need a healthy diet. And one of the primary ways that you get that is through something the church has been doing for 2,000 years, is coming together, worshiping, and hearing the word of God preached. Early on in Acts, chapter 6 and 7, again, things were growing so quickly, there was so much uh, need that all of a sudden Peter and the other apostles weren't able to invest much time in, in feeding the sheep and teaching. So uh, they th things kind of separated out, and they gave different jobs, and they uh, called deacons to lead some certain ministries. Peter says, so that we could attend our time to the word of God in prayer, to feeding the sheep. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, this is the only qualification for an elder. What they do, not necessarily who they are, is tasked to preach so that people can be fed God's word. And I'll, I'll steal a phrase that I heard a pastor say quite a few years ago because we've talked about this from Ephesians chapter 4, that God's design is for Christians to be the front line in, in, in the army. 
He, he says that uh, the church leaders exist to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of ministry. And I heard a pastor say this, and I think it's incredibly uh, important. He says, if you to the church, if you will commit to doing the ministry, then I'll make sure that you're well fed. If you'll commit to being missional in your lives, in your neighborhoods, with your friends and family, I will commit that you will be well fed by the word of God. Under shepherds, number three, not only do we lead the sheep, do they feed the sheep, under shepherds protect the sheep from false teachers, from false teaching, from dangerous uh, movements in the culture. As we uh, read the Bible and we pray and we fast and we talk, we try to protect the sheep. How does the good shepherd uh, have this design for local churches? Same way, leaders and shepherds protect the sheep. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. This is Paul on his way back for the last time to Jerusalem to be arrested, and eventually he'd wind up in prison in Rome. But he stopped and met with the elders of a local church in Ephesus beforehand, and he said this, giving them a warning. He said, I know that after my departure, after Paul left them, left them alone to operate as a church and function in their city, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, this is the same analogy, the same shepherd sheep wolves analogy that's all throughout the Bible. After my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. This is Paul encouraging the elders to protect their sheep, protect them from false doctrine, protect them from false teachers, protect them as much as they can through prayer. And a few verses beforehand, you find out what I think is, is the best way for elders to do this. Paul's testimony to them in Acts chapter 20, verse 26 was this. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul's saying, like, there were some moments in some texts that I just, I, I didn't want to preach because they would be, they would be difficult and they might shrink the, 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 the number of people coming to church the next week. Some of y'all know we're in Romans. Like, yeah, I, I know what he's talking about. Like, he's like, but I don't care. I don't care. People need to know everything, the full counsel of God. So how do you protect? You teach people the truth. Day in, day out, you go through the Bible. You, we want people to know the whole counsel of God because the best way to identify a counterfeit is not to study counterfeits, right? It's to study the genuine thing. And the more uh, able you are to identify the genuine, you very quickly recognize when there's an imposter. What's the best way to protect the sheep? To preach the word of God and the whole counsel of God. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, these elders, overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Under shepherds, protect the sheep. And number four, under shepherds, sacrifice their lives for the sheep. Now, this is very different than the way Jesus did, right? No pastor is going to lay his life down in your place on the cross. They don't uh, sacrifice themselves on your behalf, um, but they need to be willing to lay their lives down and to ultimately sacrifice a lot of things for the sake of the sheep. And the reason we're spending some time uh, doing this, one, I think it's just important that we constantly uh, hear how committed Jesus is to us as a church and how committed he is to, to leading us where he wants us to go, to feeding us what we need to be uh, nourished and to be healthy spiritually, uh, to protect us, to go find us, and ultimately to lay his life down for us. 
Uh, but I also wanted to, to unpack this for you because we've got uh, some lay elders that we're going to bring before you today and present to you as elder candidates to try to function and do exactly what uh, God's design is here in the New Testament. So here's how I want to kind of wind things up. Jesus said that he is, he's the good shepherd and he's come that we may have life and have life abundantly. I want to ask you how you're doing. If, if, you, if you're a Christian, you've committed your life to Jesus, you've confessed and believed and you belong to him, are you actively trying to follow him? Are you actively trying to, to do what he's commanded us to do, to go where he went, to be where he was, to serve how he served? You're willing to let him feed you to, to, to not just not, not just once a week. You know that's it's not enough of a diet to to be a healthy Christian. But feeding on God's word day in and day out is he the good shepherd? Because in Psalm 23, I think it's so powerful how a shepherd David, who understood how this worked, he applied this to Jesus. This is before Jesus had a body. David said, "The Lord is my shepherd." I mean, he, he saw him as his leader, as his feeder, as his protector, as his sacrifice. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. And then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because his good shepherd had already led the way and walked through the valley of the shadow of death. So he doesn't fear any evil. He says, you, met, you, you prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Uh, you've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How can David be so confident of, of where he's going to end up forever? Because Jesus is a good shepherd. He knows his sheep by name. He calls them. He protects them. And, uh, and he'll lead us all the way home. So Jesus is the good shepherd. And he uses elders and overseers and shepherds in local churches to carry out his mission on the plain. Let me invite you to bow your head, to close your eyes, and let's pray that two things would happen. So join your, your prayers, your heart, your mind with me uh, to pray that, that, that we, would be, we would be sheep that would just courageously and faithfully follow our shepherd. And then two, that God would continue to give us healthy, qualified, godly leaders to help in this day and time lead, feed, and protect the sheep. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are, in fact, the good shepherd, and it's so paradoxical that you would lay your life down for us, that the, the shepherd would, would leave the 99 and go find and not rest until he has found that one that has wandered away that's in danger, would throw it upon his shoulders and carry it back into the fold, which is what you have done for each one of us. So, Father, I pray that the, the image and the metaphor of the shepherd would be real to us, would be encouraging for us, and God, we pray just for a Redeemer that you would give us wisdom to help follow the pattern that you've given out in, to us in the Bible, that we would be a, a faithful church, a biblical church. And God, that you would shepherd your people through your leaders. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We thank you. We praise you. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.